Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Colts Authority Radio. I'm your host, Kyle Rodriguez. And along with me tonight, uh, we'll have my co-host, Greg Cowan, on in a little bit. Uh, not able to make it here for the first part of the show, but uh, we'll also be having Indianapolis Stars' Stephen Holder on uh, to talk about Colts moves, free agencies, any any potential moves that we see coming up. Uh, also, some news today regarding Chuck Pagano and uh, his uh, pending extension or, or lack thereof. Uh, we're looking forward to the draft, uh, looking forward to all kinds of things uh, in this offseason. So it should be a fun show. Really looking forward to it. Um, but we'll have a whole, a Steven on here as soon as uh, he calls in. And uh, then we'll have Greg on in a, in a little bit. But I'm really excited about the show tonight. Um, the Colts obviously going through a lot this this offseason. I made a lot of moves, uh, signing Frank Gore, signing Andre Johnson. Uh, and we haven't gotten a chance to really talk about those. We we talked about it a little bit, Greg and I, during the free agency show uh, on March 10th. Uh, but other than that, you know, haven't really gotten a chance. Haven't been back in a few weeks. So looking forward to forward to it. Excuse me. Uh, and then we will talk about the draft as well with those free agency signings. Uh, the, you know, the big question then is, what else do we have left to? What else do we have left to to talk to to fill uh, in terms of holes? Uh, and the Colts signed a lot on offense, especially those big names like I talked about, Gore, uh, Johnson. Uh, defensively, those holes still really have to be have to be filled, uh, and so that's probably where we're going to be looking at when we have have the draft coming up, um, and and also a few more signings here in free agency as well. Uh, that we've got a safety position, obviously, that still needs to be filled in Indianapolis, a few other positions as well. So uh, before we talk about that with with Greg, uh, we've got Stephen Holder here from the Indianapolis Star calling in. Uh, he is the beat writer for the Indianapolis Star for the Colts. He has been for the last two years uh, and does, a, does generally one of the most plugged in guys in Indianapolis. So with that, let me go ahead and bring, bring him on. Uh, Stephen, really appreciate you joining us today. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. What's going on? You know, not too much. Just trying to to fill the uh, the space here in the off season a little bit before the draft. Uh, you know that as well as anybody, I'm sure. You uh, were down at the owners' meetings this week, were you not? I was. I was. A um, little bit warmer temperatures. Um, in fact, it was downright hot down there in Arizona. But I am not complaining. That was a nice little diversion. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I I was actually from Arizona originally before I moved, ended up moving up here in the Michigan, but uh, I know how, how hot it can be, but in this, this time of the year, uh, definitely well worth it. Uh, with those, you know, with those owners meetings, let's just go ahead and start there. I wasn't going to necessarily, but, but the news today, the reports are that, that Chuck Pagano uh, is not going to receive an extension before the 2015 season. Instead, the Colts are going to wait and kind of wait it out. This is the last year of his contract uh, and and not guaranteeing anything before we see how he and how the team performs uh, this year. So with you being able to talk to uh, Jim Irsay and uh, as well as, as Chuck Pagano this week, what's kind of your feeling for what the Colts are expecting this year and, and not only what they're expecting as from the team, but, but from Coach Pagano? 
I think there's kind of a, a pretty clear um, sort of understanding, at least from my, from the vibe that I guess, that, that I get, the vibe that I get is that there is, there are raised expectations right now. And, and that's not only for Chuck Pagano. I think that's for everyone. I think we saw that in terms of the players themselves, you know, look at, for example, Ricky Jean Francois and the vibe or the feedback I should say that I got on, on that move, for example, was yes, he played well last year, not good enough. And that's kind of the approach I think everyone in the organization is taking, namely Jim Irsay. He wants results and he knows they're close. He sees what we see and he's a patient man, but I think he's also a guy who, who likes to win and, and you shouldn't be an NFL owner if that's not the end game for you. So uh, I think he's like anybody else. He knows that they're close. He knows they have a chance and he wants results. And uh, I can't blame him for that. Now, the other thing I'd say on Chuck Pagano, it's interesting. There's been, there was sort of a, a follow-up report later today that I saw that said that perhaps Chuck was offered a one-year deal that wasn't uh, much of a, a pay raise and declined that. I, I don't know if that's true, but that really does strike me as being very plausible. And I've been trying to follow up on his contract status for quite some time. And, and everyone at Colts headquarters has kind of been evasive about it and no one has wanted to give me details. So, you know, in fact, it was just yesterday down in Phoenix, I was hoping to get some, some details on it. And I, I wasn't able to catch up with uh, Jim Ursay before he took off, but, um, I, I think this has been something that's sort of simmering under the surface for a while. I noticed today I got no real responses from sources about this, so no one wants to talk about it. It isn't a really interesting subplot to the season, and I, I'm not even sure what to make of it just yet. Yeah, I just saw that as well, that uh, potentially turning down a one-year extension. I think for Pagano, that probably makes makes sense for him as well, uh, wanting to get yep. as much, obviously, out of that, that next contract as he can. I, I think so. That's that's good business, I think. Listen, even if they have sort of a disaster season, and disaster by their standards, they're not going to go 6-10, and 10, obviously. But even if they have sort of a, a disappointing season, I think he'll, he'll find himself very much like John Fox, where, you know what, the Denver Broncos decided it was time, and what did he do? He turned around, and within a couple of days, he's the head coach of the Chicago Bears. Now, he's a more proven coach than Chuck Pagano, clearly, because he's been to a Super Bowl with Carolina. He's had success over the years over a sustained amount of time, but, but Chuck Pagano does have some qualities that will appeal to owners if he ever got onto the market. And frankly, I don't think it's going to come to that. I think they're going to work this out unless there is some unforeseen disaster that, that we can't envision. And I don't anticipate that. I don't think any of us do. So I don't think this is cause for alarm, but, but I think, if that second report is right, where Chuck declined the one-year offer, uh, I think he he's banking on on himself there, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. In fact, it probably is the right move. Right, uh, you know, you mentioned Stephen that you know Ursay wants to win now, and and the whole team wants to win now, and it's kind of in that mode. Uh, something that kind of goes along with that was their strategy in free agency this year. They signed a number of older guys to short-term contracts, uh, deals that didn't have much guaranteed money that can be cut you know, without much penalty either after this year or the next. Uh, and it, it, you know, the Colts have always been pretty prudent with the finances under Gregson and uh, Mike Bloom. But this, this seems to be a little bit change of, of strategy in free agency. And it, it seems pretty 
I mean, a pretty clear and, and coherent plan, at least from our eyes on the outside. Uh, for you, you know, in with that feel that you're getting from the team, I mean, is this kind of a, a very clear strategy because of just because of the contracts that are coming up? Or is this also kind of the evolution of Ryan Grigson as a general manager? I think, honestly, every team is different every single year, even with the same leadership. You know, it depends on where your team is and what your situation is. And right now, I think this is what their predicament calls for. I think that's what it's – I think it's more about that than anything else. They're in a situation now where, uh, you know, in 2012, for example, you know, they had a team that had a lot of inexperience and really needed to, to rebuild. So, <clears throat> excuse me, they, they obviously made some, some free agent moves then. But I think now they're doing it a little more selectively, and they're, they're going after – guys who they think can sort of help them in the near term. It, this is not about sort of building your program. This is about getting it from from point B to C. They they went from A to B already. So, so anyhow, I like their moves. I think it gives them flexibility financially going forward. This doesn't tie them down. Uh, I do think that one reason you won't see an Andrew Luck extension right now is because of some of these deals, but but that doesn't that doesn't really bother me at all. I don't see any real incentive to do Andrew Luck uh, right now anyway. So I think that may have, it may have some impact in that regard, but, but overall, this is really not hamstringing them. I don't think in the long term. And if they're smart about how they structure these contracts, which it appears that they have been, you know, you're not talking about deals that are going to have to be, on uh, which there are going to be consequences down the, the line. And the payoff for doing these deals is these are guys who can help you win games right now. They're older, yes, but they're only going to be here for a year or two in most cases. So, look, they're not signing Trent Cole to be the cornerstone of their defense. <laughs> I mean, this is pretty clear. So I think this is really not necessarily a, a change or an evolution for Grigson. I think it's it's a situation where this is what the situation calls for and they're doing what they have to do. And it makes a lot of sense to me. Right, right. Adapting to the situation, and and that's what what you're called to do as a GM. I, I'm I'm right with you. Uh, you mentioned Goran Johnson. Obviously, are the two biggest names. Uh, you know, especially offensively, they've got the star power, the Pro Bowls, uh, all the pedigree. You know, the the only you know, pushback that we've seen at all really is from guys talking about how old they are. Uh, it's namely pre. Pete Prisco of CBS Sports is the biggest name that I've seen of any <laughs> any sort of pushback here. Um, but we, like we you had said, a, I'll just I'll just say this: Pete and I had a nice good talk about that at the owners' meetings. But I'll, did you? That's another subject. Yeah, we did. Uh, <laughs> I've known Pete for years. I've known Pete for many many years. Well, uh, yeah, he's down in you know, Jacksonville, down in wasn't he? Yeah, I've 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 seen him a lot over the years, and and do quite often talk to him. Uh, you know, look, Pete is. Pete likes to stir the pot, <laughs> and I say that in a friendly way because he is my friend, but Pete likes to stir the pot, and it's intentional, and he's that guy who's going to yell uh, fire in the crowded theater and, and have a big laugh about it. So, you know, take it for what it's worth is what I'd say. <laughs> well, when you look at these two guys, I, I'm with you, like you said, not a whole lot of financial penalty uh, further on. Uh, when you look at Goran Johnson and having a chance to, to talk to talk to, to Coach Pagano kind of about what they see as the role of those two. You know, what kind of role do you see them playing as most, most you know, especially in 2015? Well, I, I think first of all with Gore, I think he actually helps them achieve what they tried to do with Trent Richardson and, and so miserably failed, obviously, which is 
to establish certainly a, a power running game, and, and, and he can give them that. But, but more than that, I think it's a demeanor. And, and Frank Gore, when he rips off one of his punishing runs, or even when he cuts back and makes a guy miss and, and does what he does, he energizes your football team. And I, I think he's just a great guy to have in terms of your locker room and certainly in terms of having him in your backfield. I mean, he gives them exactly what they're missing. And, and they've been trying to attain that for, for so long, and it's such a big staple, or should be at least a staple, of, of Pep Hamilton's offense, a back like Frank Gore. So this is going to help everybody. It's going to help the quarterback. It's going to help the coordinator. And I think that's why it's a good move. The other thing with Gore, and as I'm sure you and, and everyone listening knows, is his durability the last few years. I mean, what can you say about that? My goodness, the guy hasn't missed a game at the most brutal position in team sports, in my opinion. Uh, the most brutal position, running back in the NFL, and he hasn't missed a game in four years. That is beyond impressive. At 31 years old, I mean, wow, that's all I can say. So I love that move. And then with, with Andre Johnson, I think what they get there is uh, I tried to to sort of go down this road with Chuck Pagano the other day. I think they have a lot of speed at receiver, clearly. They have they have T.Y. Hilton, they have Dante Moncrief, who does have size and can do some other things, but his his strength is he's gonna take the top off the defense. And then we have Deron Carter now, who is a big bodied guy, uh can run, but but hasn't proven anything. So I'm not I don't think you should put any eggs in that basket yet. What they don't have is that big bodied guy who can go make tough plays in the middle of the field. And Andre Johnson is no longer the guy who's going to go down the field and, and run past defenders because he's past that point of his career, but he can still go and make strong handed catches uh, on the sidelines, uh, run slants toward the middle of the field. He can still do that stuff. And I think that's where he's going to really help Andrew Luck. I think make a lot of the plays that Reggie Wayne did his first couple of years with Andrew Luck, but I think he's a bigger target, honestly, and and has still at this point of his career has more left than clearly Reggie does. So I think that move right there is, is really going to, I think, help Andrew Luck take another step. And Andre, Don Andre Johnson does not have to be what he has been for Houston, and that's a great thing for him. And I think this is going to re-energize him because he has not had good quarterback play. Uh, this is going to really, I think, sort of put a, a pep in his step. Yeah, a lot of similarities between Andre Johnson and, and Reggie Wayne. Uh, they're the same age, as, or he's the same age as Reggie Wayne was when, when Luck first came in in 2012. So if he can have anything close to the kind of season that, that Reggie had during that season, obviously the Colts would, would really be getting their money's worth. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about in terms of free agency, Stephen, was was the defensive front seven. Uh, you know, obviously they got they got chewed up against New England, not only in the AFC Championship game, but also in Week 11. Uh, and the Colts were expected to really make some big splashes for that front seven. Didn't necessarily go after the big names, you know, the Sioux or the Knighton or anything like that. Uh, but they did make a few signings, Trent Cole being the biggest name, uh, Kendall Langford as well, and then bringing in linebacker Nate Irving recently. Uh, what, you know, how did those guys kind of fit into their vision for the front seven? And, and really, what else do they need to do? Do they need to make any more big additions there? Well, I, I think Kendall Langford on paper, now we've got to see the guy play, but on paper, that signing makes a lot of sense. I mean, he is built very much the same way as Corey Redding, who had a pretty good season last year for a guy of his age and experience 
and I think, you know, held up pretty well, gave him some pass rush. Uh, Kendall Langford's probably not going to give you a lot of pass rush, but on first and second downs, he's what they've been looking for. You know, that I believe, you know, sort of quintessential five technique. He's six six three thirteen or so. And that's pretty much the way you, pretty much the way you, you sculpt them up or excuse me, sketch them uh, as a, as a five technique. That's pretty much the, uh, the template I should say. So they on paper have a really good player there and, I don't know that the last couple of years he's been at his best, but, but he really does feel from what he said, he, he really feels sort of invigorated by the chance to play in the three, four. He had a chance to go to Detroit and had an offer on the table and picked Indianapolis in part because it was a three, four. So he thinks that's going to make a big difference for him. And, and I think the Colts are on board with that notion as well. So I would give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt there right now, even though he's not the big name, uh, sort of big splash signing we thought they might make on their defensive line. So uh, as far as Trent Cole, I, I do like that. Look, they need to they need to have uh, enough pass rushers that they can continue to throw bodies at people because I think uh, when when a particular player or pass rusher, for example, has a bad matchup for whatever reason and maybe things aren't going his way, I think you need to be able to roll someone else in there. And, and now they have that. They can throw multiple bodies at you now. They're, none of them are Lawrence Taylor here, but, but I think they have enough talent there that they can at least mix things up and really uh, sort of switch up the matchups and make things tougher on, on offensive linemen. So I think they'll get results out of that, at least in the short term. You know, they didn't necessarily go out there and really bolster that defensive line. And, I think people are concerned about that and they should be concerned about that because unless they do something, unless they do something really dramatic in the draft right now, you're relying on the likes of Josh Chapman and Montori Hughes and, and Zach Kerr, all of whom are guys we think have a lot of potential. Although Chapman, I thought was really disappointing last year, but all those guys have a lot of potential. But when you start asking guys to play uh, a far bigger number of snaps, it changes things, and, and the production can go down at times. So I think we saw that, for example, on the other side of the ball last year with Moncrief. As the season went along, when the snaps count grew, I think his, his effectiveness wasn't necessarily uh, what it was, but, but I think he'll be fine in his second year. But the point is they're banking a lot on some guys who are pretty unproven. So I, I think that says to me a couple of things, and Grigson said this, uh, they they had some conversations with some guys in free agency, but look, they assign value to guys, and every GM has to do this. Every front office in the league does this. You have to assign a value to a guy, particularly when you've invested richly in other players. And once it gets past that value, you've got to make a decision. You know whether you're going to continue to go down that road. So I, it's my understanding and it's it's my uh, opinion that that's kind of what happened in terms of the defensive line moves in free agency. And, uh, and so they're going to sort of take some chances. And I'm going to get into that on IndyStar.com here on Friday into a little more depth and, and maybe explain that thought process to people a little more from my conversation with Grigson. Uh, like you said, Kendall Langford did play in that 3-4 in Miami in his, on his rookie deal and, and did have a little bit more effectiveness than he did uh, in St. Louis, I, I think, than uh, – you know, especially from a pass rush perspective, actually, he was a decent pass rusher at that five tech spot, and hopefully, he can he can kind of fill that role from Cordy Redding. Uh, going back to the owners' meetings this week, there's been 
lot of hubbub about the different rule changes, whether it was the Colts and their crazy nine-point touchdown idea or um, whether it was the the new catch rules. Uh, there's a few different things here. So can you kind of break break down the, uh, the, the ones that really were going to affect the Colts next season? Uh, I know there's a few of them that, that were kind of highlighted for you guys this week. Yeah, well, the one I think that, that caught most people's attention is the – the changes to uh, how you can use an ineligible receiver. Now that was clearly a big topic uh, against the Ravens and Colts in the uh, Patriots matchups with the Ravens and Colts in the playoffs. The the Ravens had a tougher time with it than the Colts did. I, I believe I went back and looked at this yesterday. I think the, I think the, the Patriots used it three or four times in the Colts game. Although the, the touchdown, uh, that they threw to their offensive tackle was actually not an ineligible receiver play. I think that was sort of a misconception, but the point is uh, that, that, that there I think is going to change some things. It's sort of taken a a tool out of the Patriots toolbox. And, and we know they, they love wrinkles and Bill Belichick loves to throw different stuff at you, different tactics and, and look at Cameron Fleming in their first game, uh, an offensive lineman who no one knows anything about. And he was a huge factor in that game because he reported eligible, I believe, uh, some 20-some-odd times in that game and wow. and really just overpowered the Colts in the regular season game and, and really threw off their uh, their run fits. And, and that was just a huge problem for the Colts. They didn't adjust well to it either, which I think the, go to, the coaches excuse me, must bear some responsibility for. So, so anytime you take – a wrinkle away from the Patriots where now that ineligible receiver can't be split out wide in the slot. He's got to be inside the tackle box. So there that basically eliminates their incentive for really using it, honestly. So I don't know that we'll see that again from the Patriots, but uh, you know, we'll all, we'll always see something else from them. And then one thing that I don't know that we'll ever see this, but it's interesting. Uh, they now will allow teams with retractable roofs, to open that roof for the second half of a game. So the thought process there is if the weather is crummy early in the game, but they envision the weather improving, you can, you can opt to open the roof at halftime. uh, So long as that decision is made before the game. So, and you've got to meet certain standards. It can't be the weather conditions uh, can't have deteriorated obviously, because then that would be defeating the purpose. So, that's something that could perhaps create some interesting um, fan experience sort of uh, things going forward as well. So that's something to watch. But uh, I think other than that, I think we didn't see any changes to the extra point rule, but, but here's something to chew on for the, for the future. If, and there was a lot of discussion about this, if the NFL ever goes to the move where they move the extra point line of scrimmage from the two-yard line to the one-yard line. I'm telling you now, Chuck Pagano is going for it because he made that point this week. We've got a big, strong quarterback, and you know what? He's fine putting the ball in his hands and asking him to get one yard. So wouldn't that really spice things up? So I would expect in 2016 we're probably going to get some kind of movement on extra points, and and that could really be intriguing uh, with Andrew Luck with the ball in his hand at the one-yard line. Yeah, I know a lot of fans would be would be happy to see uh, the Colts going for two more. So if hey, if it's moved up to the one yard line, I know there'd be a lot of happy guys out there. Uh, really, last kind of section here for you. Uh, 
Uh, first, there's kind of a two-part question. First of all, the the draft coming up here, and we mentioned this is a big year for for Chuck Pagano and and for his leadership of the Colts, his future, and regarding his contract and everything else going forward. Uh, but it's a good, it's a big year for Ryan Grigson as well. Uh, the, they've had three drafts now. You know, one that was the 2012 draft with luck and and a very good draft. Uh, 2013 draft was a little more disappointing. Uh, to and then last year you you had some really big contributions from guys Jack. Dante Moncrief, especially, uh, and Jonathan Newsom, but you didn't have a first round pick. So this year they've got nine first nine draft picks. They're they're all set there. Uh, it's the first time he's had both his first and second round picks since 2012. How important is it for Gregson and, and for the franchise to really hit, especially on these early picks? Well, it's huge for Ryan Gregson. I think. Well, at this point, after this draft coming up, he's going to have a much bigger body of work in terms of the draft and, and we'll have a better, uh, we'll, we'll be able to better assess him, I think, and his drafting prowess. And, and right now it's tough to do that. You know, we, we know about 2012, there's really no discussion necessary where that's concerned, but you have some inconsistency after that. And so what you need is you need a bigger body of work to really draw better conclusions. And I think we'll get that this year. They've got a full slate, nine picks. I mean, all kinds of potential there. And, the other thing that I think is really important, and this is not something that's as obvious, though. Look, we're going into a period where finances are going to become a problem for the Colts. Doesn't mean they're going to be hamstrung, but they're going to be restricted financially when Andrew Luck gets paid and T.Y. Hilton and you name it. They've got a long list of guys that they have to take care of. I think Kobe Fleener, you know, we, you and I talked on Twitter about him. He's going to earn some money. So, the fact is that is going to change their finances quite a bit. And when that happens, the biggest key for teams in that predicament is you have to get contributions from young players on rookie deals. So just like they got big contributions the last few years from Kobe Fleener and Andrew Luck and T.Y. Hilton, and they got it on the cheap, they now need to get some of that uh, going forward. They need another round of that, I think, another couple years of that, honestly, because – they're not going to be able to go out there and perhaps in a couple of years sign a Frank Gore and on Andre Johnson. They, that may not be there. That opportunity might not be at their disposal. So they're really going to have to hit on some picks and, and get some guys who can play right away. doesn't mean they're stars, but they have to be able to contribute. And I think if you can find, you know, a Jack Muhort, if you can find a Jonathan Newsom, which was a, what a find, by the way. But you know, you're not going to find a ton of those. But if you have to have a handful of those guys so that you can have a, a big contributor who maybe is only making seven or eight hundred thousand dollars, and you catch a break because that's what they're going to need going forward when Andrew Luck is making eight hundred million dollars or whatever. It's gonna be. <laughs> uh, obviously, it, it, it'll only be like a hundred and twenty. But yeah, only. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's a great point, Stephen. And, and that 2012 draft class really, I mean, functions now as, as the core of the team. And so for you to have a core of your team you know, to get uh, that on those rookie deals, uh, those expiring now, you're going to need to find more core pieces from the draft. And that's something that uh, we're still a little bit waiting to see, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So with that said, uh, we know that the, you know, getting the best value you can out of the draft is the ultimate goal. You want to find the best players. So, I mean, that's easy enough. Uh, but if the Colts are really going to be focusing on a few key positions, especially early on in the draft, what, what are those, those key spots going to be? Well, I think we go back to the defensive line 
for the reasons you know we outlined earlier, there well for one, there's talent there in this draft, so that's that's a good starting spot. And then the need going forward, I think, is there for them. They they did not invest in free agency there. They've got Art Jones, and I think we sometimes forget about Art because last year was was obviously a disappointing year for him. But but they're they're banking on him pretty heavily. He's gonna. There's a lot of pressure on Art Jones this year. He needs to come through. But but it's not. It's got to be more than that. I, I think they need some bodies up front, and they need competition up front. And I, I think there's an opportunity to do that in this draft. And then I think in the on the back end at safety, they they really even if they are going to go out and pick up you know a, a spare veteran here and there in free agency, and, and I think they could potentially still do that. Uh, they're playing that waiting game now, you know, to see who will take the, the least amount of money. <laughs> That's pretty much where they're at. But, but that doesn't, that probably doesn't uh, solve your your problem there in the long term. And that that position, we have been talking about it year after year after year. They have not <laughs> solved that puzzle at safety, you know. And it's time. It's time. And and I don't know that there can. I'm not saying that this draft is is flush with talent at that position because obviously there's a big drop off after, you know, guys like Collins, but, but it would be really nice if they could solve that problem in this draft. And, and again, they'll have to make the determinations on the talent, but, but that has been a constant. We've talked about a few positions year after year after year and safety is one of them. And if you can solve that, I think with the corners that they have in place, uh, their secondary is in a good place for the most part, but, but I think it's, it, it's sort of uh, undermined by what's going on at safety. So I think they need to solve that puzzle and perhaps do that in the draft. If they could do that, that would be a coup for them, I believe. Absolutely. Uh, well, Stephen, really appreciate you coming on today. Uh, guys, you can find Stephen on Twitter. Good follow at Holder Stephen, Stephen with P-H. Uh, and you can also find his work on, on IndyStar.com. Uh, anywhere else that we need to be keeping an eye on uh, for you this offseason, Stephen? Uh, no, not a whole lot. I mean, I'll, I'll be, um, I'll, I'll be where I usually am on Twitter and, uh, indiestar.com occasionally on Fox sports one, but, uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see what uh, is ahead of us. It could be, who knows what we'll be talking about a week or two. From now. <laughs> you never know with Ryan Griggs here. You never know. <laughs> especially now nine picks is at his disposal. Uh, all right. Like I said, Steven, really appreciate you coming on and uh, we'll be looking forward to uh, that defensive line piece here coming up. All right. Well, Hey, thanks for having me, Kyle. Thank you. All right. That was, uh, that was Steven Holder of, of the Indy And uh, we're going to be having Greg here join me in just a few seconds, but uh, again, good insight from, from Steven, especially being down at those owners meetings this, this past week. Uh, a lot going on down there, and and one of the few times during the off season when we can you know really get some access to Coach Pagano, Jim Irsay, Ryan Gregson, et cetera, uh, before the draft. Uh, and the draft's going to be really interesting. And like Steven said, obviously focusing on the defensive side of the ball, but but really, and Greg and I talked about this a little bit, but don't be surprised if we see some key offensive picks either. Uh, still have some holes there to fill. So with that, let me go ahead and bring on my co-host, uh, Greg Cowan. Perfect timing. Greg, really appreciate you uh, coming back on tonight. Thanks for having me on. Happy to be here. Looking forward to it. <laughs> really exciting. Way to hit all five guest uh, introductions in one. I, uh, I've been practicing my cliche game. 
we we could get you know. on uh we could get you on real radio and you'd just be perfect fit. <laughs> get Derek, get Derek to have you on. You should call in one of Derek's Derek shows. I don't think uh I don't think his co host likes me, so they'd probably screen you. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is Bradwell. We got a Canadian Colin. <laughs> Uh, uh, well, Greg, I don't know if you got to hear any of that or not. Um, I did. I saw but, some of it. Okay. All right. So we'll we, putting my kids to bed. So. Okay. Well, did you were able to, you were able to hear anything about uh, Chuck Pagano in the? We did that early on, so I'm not sure if you were able to catch that. Part no, I, I I did not. So and this, anyhow, I have a lot to say on this one. So. I know you do. That's well, why I brought it up. <laughs> I think uh, it's all right. kind of a non-story, but maybe I'm that's, wrong. That's that's kind of my thought too, and and I think, I think that was kind of Stevens Stevens thought too was that it's not really a story, right? I mean, it, it, this is the smart way to go. Yeah, there's you gotta Why don't watch. You expand on that. <laughs> well, so there, there's a few ways that you can look at this. First of all, people are very upset because the Colts under Chuck Pagano have a successful record. That's fine, but I. I don't think that you should only judge a coach by their record. And maybe that sounds, I don't know, dumb to some people. But I, for, So first, I don't think you should judge Pugano by his record. I really think, as the Colts always say, you should tr- look at the process. They want to trust the process. Well, let's look at it. They have been very good. They did make it to the AFC Championship game. But I don't view Pugano as a top 10 coach. A top, I, I think he's probably average. I don't think I've ever looked at it. Well, Pete, whoa, whoa, whoa. Pete Prisco said he was a top 10 coach, though. Right. <laughs> so well, I guess I'm wrong then. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if Pete Prisco says it. <laughs> Prisco's been off the rails lately. I don't know. Yeah, I usually really <laughs> like Pete Prisco, but some of the stuff that's been going on this this uh, offseason's kind of been... I agree, I 100% with that. Uh, let me ask you this. What do you think Pagano does well on the field? Like, it, for, for me, all of his pluses have to do with who he is as a person and get people liking him and buying into him personally. But on Sundays, or tactically, strategically, do you see anything that makes him stand out? Um, I, I don't, not necessarily, but I don't think I really do from a lot of coaches. I mean, it's for some coaches, that's their strength, right? I mean, that's for, for Sean Payton, that's their strength for new England. That's, that's their strength is, is the, the tactical stuff. Um, for a lot of coaches, I don't know that necessarily is it's, it's cause as a head coach, a lot of coaches don't have that hands-on and, you know, that hands-on that role. Uh, and for Pagano, I don't think that's necessarily Pagano's role, even though he was brought in to be, you know, the defensive stalwart coach. We obviously haven't seen that play out. Um, but I, I just don't know that that's, we necessarily see that being his role on this team. His, his role is more of a big picture guy, I think. And I still think he has his flaws there. Uh, and one of his flaws is probably tactical and tactical preparation. Um, but I, I also think that, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's okay. Uh, but I, I'm with you overall. I think he's more of a, you know, I think right now, I think it's tough to say that he's anything but but an average coach. I think looking at last year, because you can't really look at 2012 and, and put that on him, right? I mean, he did a good job preparing the team for the season. I think we could say that. But other than that, a lot of the coaching, you know, goes to to, to Bruce Arians. Um, and, and Pagano did a, a, you know, last year I think was disappointing, especially after Reggie Wayne went out. I just don't think they handled it well. I, I think this year they did a pretty good job. So, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm kind of, 
I think this is a big year for him. So like you said, I think this is a really, this is the smart way to go. Right. When I'm saying that I don't feel it as one of his strengths, I'm not saying it's a necessity, but I'm just kind of tying that into the whole, what was the rush in extending him then? See what right. happens this year. See how it plays out. See who becomes available. I joke that Belichick will leave and come coach the Colts. I, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but at some point Brady is going to retire and they just want another Super Bowl, so probably sooner rather than later. And at some point, when that happens, I'm pretty sure Belichick's actually going to walk away from the Patriots because he doesn't want to do a rebuild. I'm not, so while I'm not saying Belichick will become available, I am saying that you don't know who will be available. And there are coaches out there who I would definitely consider an upgrade over Pagano. Do any of them become That's available? Fair. Maybe not, but why tie, your, tie, tie yourself down? Right, right. And, and, and I one, think... One final thing. Oh, go ahead. Oh, okay, go ahead. Well, the, the last point here is there's always a concern with lame duck coaches in that they're going to lose the room. Like, players won't respect them as much because they know that they're not here. They don't think they're going to necessarily be here beyond the year. I don't think that's a problem with this coach or this team because he's so well-loved. I think that in this one case, his strongest, his biggest strength actually makes it okay for him not to have an extension if that's ever actually a real concern and not media-driven. Heck, if anything, the, that team's going to play uh, harder for him to, to, to keep him around than anything else. Right. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm all right with you. And I think, I think there's been some weird pushback on, on this particular announcement. Like you said, kind of from, it's kind of from the national media, which is, uh, usually it's the other way around. Usually you'll see a lot of the local media defending, you know, the, the Colts and, and personnel that they get to interact with all the time, especially a guy like Chuck Pagano that, you know, that everybody loves, um, but in this case, you're seeing a lot of national people say, well, why aren't they, you know, why aren't they re-signing, uh, extending Chuck Pagano when he's, he's had these 11 and five records the last three years. And, and everybody locally is just kind of saying, okay, this is, yep, this is how it is. This makes perfect sense. <laughs> so it's just kind of a, a really a rare situation where you're, you're, you've got the national media that's, uh, you know, trying to prop up uh, the, the local guy and, and the local media all kind of has a, a grasp on the real situation. Um, for Pagano in 2015, Greg, what's kind of for you, and, I, and I, we, you mentioned this a little bit on Twitter earlier today, uh, what's kind of the biggest thing you want to see from him or, or from the team that would reflect on him? I would equate Pagano in 2015 sort of to how we talked about the Colts as a team in 2013. We all said the record may not be better, but we expect the team to be better. I don't really care what Pagano's record is. There were six games this past season where the excuse seemed to be, or the, the reasoning was we weren't prepared. I, I get that some of that is the players. Uh, at some point, in the, in the one game, it has to be the players. In two games, okay, it's the players. In three games, your professionals, be ready. When it becomes such a continuous thing, then it's coaching. Either you have to do enough to get the players ready or don't play the players who aren't ready. And we sort of saw that towards the end of the year with certain players no longer playing. But that's what I'm looking at is actually his ability to avoid those stinkers. If they're 10 and 6 and the, the process in games against good teams seems better to me, and this is going to sound really weird because I, I am an advanced stats guy and I'm now talking about eye test. But if we don't have stinkers and the team actually looks better prepared, I'm okay with that. And I, I think that that's actually pro, uh, a step forward, progress. 
you know, they could get into the playoffs, but they will get into the playoffs, but they could get in and not do as well next year because of the luck of the draw. They could face Denver and Manning has two healthy legs and then they lose. And that's not a bad thing or it doesn't make the season worse to me. That's why I was talking about this past season not being much better than the last one because I just felt they had basically the same exact season with a tiny bit more luck. Uh, so for me, I'm looking just to see him progress as a coach and the team to be better in all situations. At, at some point, I do think you have to look at them. I know this is probably going off tar- topic a little bit, but you have to look at Grigson and Pagano as a package deal. If you can't spend, if you can't build a dominant or not even dominant, but a good defense with being a defensive guru and spending as much money on defense as they are or have like they've cut the players but they keep spending money there then i think that something has to give there you know if it's not pagano going then minuski has to go even if that's just a uh superficial move to to quelch our thirst for blood or something i don't know but something will have to give there if this defense can't get it together now and that's where i think uh you could see the differentiation between Grigson and Pagano in terms of, you know, like you said, them being kind of being a package deal. I, I think Pagano is a guy who definitely could kind of take the fall for that, even though, you know, you and I would probably say Grigson hasn't given him much to work with. Um, they've spent money, but when you look at the players that they've spent money on, it really hasn't given him a ton to work with. Um, so, I, but I do think that's a case where he could, he could kind of take the fall if he were to not get extended um, it would probably be for that defense. But I, I'm with you. I think the biggest thing that I want to see more out of the Colts is, is that consistency, like you said. Um, and it's not that you can't have stinkers because every team has them. It's not that you can't have them. It's that you can't have five in a season. And that's basically what we and saw they, from Indianapolis, right? I mean, they didn't – it wasn't that they the – Well, uh, and that's – I mean, it's fine to have, have some bad games against teams. That happens. But when you when it happens consistently – I mean, right. you know, when it happens to Pittsburgh and Dallas and Denver and, you know, and New England and you know, whoever else. I mean, that's that's where it gets dicey. And and then when you have these, you know, this didn't really happen in 2014, but 2013, you know, when you're losing to bad teams, uh, and especially when you're like when you're losing to St. Louis at home, you know, by 30 points, stuff like that can't happen. Um and, and again, you can have stinkers. I mean, God, New England has has them all the time. I mean, it, people were calling for Tom Brady's head at the beginning of the season last year because they lost to Kansas City. But mm-hmm. that doesn't happen every week, or you know, it doesn't happen every big game. They they come through in the big games, and and the Colts certainly came through in some big games. And I think that's the biggest thing for me. You can't you can't say about this team and about Chuck Pagano that you know, they always lose in bad to bad teams because they don't. You know, they had they beat Seattle last year. They beat San Francisco last year. They beat Denver last year and this year. They beat you know they beat Baltimore, who was a pretty good team. They beat Baltimore. They beat Cincinnati twice. I mean, it wasn't like you never beat good teams, but you have too many of these quote unquote stinkers uh, against good teams. And that's you know if you're going to be a real Super Bowl contender, uh, that's something that you can't have. You know, like I said, you can't have five of those in a year. Let me add one more angle to this. And then that's really my last point. I promise. Uh, Pep Hamilton is a great young coach. He's super, like, a hot commodity right now. Everyone wants him. Not tying yourself down to the coach to give yourself – his next step is head coach. And, you know, they always talk about keeping continuity with Andrew. That could be one thing that they're keeping in mind, too. Like, we want to have this spot open – 
just in case this is our only way of keeping Pep. And, you know, if they win the That's Super Bowl or point. have a great year or whatever, they keep they keep Pagano. But the, this is really their one chance. We sh- we kind of saw this problem with uh, Arians. You know, we can't keep him because there's no way we're getting rid of Pagano. Well, they kind of might have a similar, con- not controversy, but some situation brewing, and this is their they're out their ticket if it comes to that. So I think that that's one angle to watch too. I would not be surprised if uh, Pep Hamilton is the coach of the the Colts in 2016. And I I would be surprised, but not that much. Let's, let's just put it this way: I think Pagano's going to be back. I, I think I mean I just me think too. that's what's going to happen, right? And I, 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 I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I, I'm just, I know, but I agree with you. I think that's if, if by some, you know, uh, against all odds, Chuck Pagano was was not the head coach of the Colts. Uh, I think that's a really good uh, underrated point that it that keeping Pep Hamilton around and having him transition into that role could definitely be a, a strong possibility. So yeah, no, really good point. Um, and and I think all in all, this is uh, more smoke than fire in in terms of this this uh, Chuck Pagano thing. But I, I also think that, I, and like kind of like Stephen Holder said when he was on, um, Jim Irsay wants to win. And, and I think even more so, we talked about it, uh, or actually maybe it was you, Greg, I can't remember if it was you or somebody else, but somebody tweeted, it's not a very Irsay-like move, right? Because it, it just kind of seems odd. But I think you, Irsay knows how much time he has left, uh, quite candidly. He doesn't, you know, he's not a guy who's going to be around forever. Uh, he's had some health problems. He's getting older, uh, and not foreseeing that anytime really soon. But but still, Ursay knows that he's not going to be around forever, and he he wants to win a championship as soon as he can. Uh, so I think we could see some more drastic moves from him and from the Colts in the future. Uh, but still, I I think your best bet is that Pagano is back in 2016. Yeah, when I think about Ursay, like, go ahead. It, it's not that I hate it. Like I'm I actually am impressed. <laughs> that they have this kind of restraint. I think that it shows real growth because it took a miracle. It felt like to get Caldwell fired. And that was something that I thought had to happen. So to see this sort of growth, I think is really impressive. And it's not like anyone's fired. It's just restraint. Right. It's just saying, <laughs> no, we're not going to. Just, know. just, yeah. we're not going to resign him to a, five-year extension before he proves himself as a head coach. And I think that's where we're, you know, where we're looking. Speaking of proving yourself, uh, this is going to be just something we can talk about for a few minutes, Greg, while I think of a new topic. Um, well, we, didn't, we, we haven't had a show since uh, Gore and Johnson, by the way. So if you need topics. I know. We have lots of things okay. to talk about. Um, okay. But this is just something I wanted to talk about you, but with about with you because we kind of have talked about it on Twitter. Okay. Somebody, Phil, Phil B uh, brought it up, brought I think it was last week, maybe. Uh, if the Colts had to choose between and Fleener right now, we've talked about this before, but I want to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. Who would you choose? Right. That's the that was that was the topic that Phil B brought up. Um, and I and I don't think it's we need to necessarily have that discussion right now. But I think, and I brought this up on Twitter today. I compare Pagano and Fleener in where they are in their careers, respectively, right now. Very similarly, um, because you, know, you look at Pagano and he's had good quote unquote numbers. He has the records, right? And you look at, at Fleener and on the surface, he has he has good numbers for a you know rookie, second, third year tight end. He has good 
total re- you know receiving numbers, yards, touchdowns. He has good numbers. Um, both guys, I think, propped up a little bit by Andrew Luck uh, and by the situation, by being in the AFC South, by going against bad defenses, etc. Um, and both really need a strong uh, 2015, I think, to earn big paydays. Uh, Greg, I know you think I hate Kobe Fleener. Um, I don't hate him. <laughs> I just want wanted to debate, or do you want me to give you an honest answer? Uh, well, see, we embrace debate a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, if, uh, if you're picking right now, this is going to sound weird. I, I think I don't Kobe think he... Fleener might be the better player right now. He's certainly the more productive player. But Dwayne Allen, if you can only pick one, is the one you have to keep. Because if you ever find a coach that uses him properly, and I still don't think he's been used properly, he seems to be too pigeonholed into either receiving or blocking, and generally too pigeonholed into blocking. But if you ever find a coach who's going to use him properly, he's going to be dominant and a top-five tight end. Whereas Fleener is way more one-dimensional. But the, the thing that's painful about all of this is I think together they're the perfect complement for each other. Yeah. Like if you can have those two guys, they, they fit like pieces of a puzzle. But if you, if you can only pick one, it has to be Allen because what you get out of Fleener, I think you can find much easier than the complete package that you can get out of Allen. And that's not really a knock on Fleener because I think he's going to be really good. Especially if you get the production you're hoping you'll get out of your young wide receivers. I, you know, that's, right. I think, a big point, too. But I, I think, ultimately, this isn't a question you can really ask right now. I just don't think it's fair um, because both guys have significant questions. And there's still a year left. I mean, you, this year is so important for those two players. Um, whereas, you know, guys like Andrew Locke and T.Y. Hilton and, and Anthony Costanzo, who will be resigned after this year, likely, you know, those guys are proven, you know, if they have a big year, they'll get a little more money, you know, than maybe they would have if they have a down year, whatever, but, but they're proven they're coming back. Um, yeah, Alan Fleener, significant questions with Alan, uh, the injury question, most of all for Fleener, you know, it's the consistency, I think for the most part. Um, but so I, I it's just such a hard question to answer right now, but anyway, I just kind of wanted to know your thoughts and, and get to really say passionately to you, Greg, I, I don't hate Kobe Fleener. <laughs> I know you don't. But can I ask I you just, one question about these two? Yes. Have they been used like as you envisioned this, this would work when both were drafted together? 2014 was probably the first glimpse of that, I think. Before that, no. For me, I, I envisioned like a 2004 Colts offense sort of thing because Fleener can flex out and be sort of that uh, Dallas Clark X factor and uh, Dwayne Allen can do those things, but I, I just feel like they never utilize both at the same time. I want to see. Yeah. And part of that was because, right. No, I mean, and they still use those and they still do, but not as much. I think I'm, I'm with you there though, that they haven't used it as much. And I think this year, uh, especially if they have Frank Gore and he's running well and whatnot, I think we'll see more of those two tight end packages, especially. Well, I want to see tight end packages where both are a threat. I, I feel like we right. see them, but one's all like their their insistence on turning Dwayne Allen into a, a an offensive lineman, basically. It's well, and I think that I think that'll be lessened too if if they have the consistency on the offensive line that they want. And I think that was a big part of right. it last year. You had so many injuries. I mean, the Colts I, I ended up. 
So I, I think the I'll just say this real quick. I think the Colts ended up uh, second or third worst uh, in terms of offensive line injuries for last year. So I mean, it was just. Right. You know, I mean, they always are. So maybe we can't really expect a change there. That's why I said in the offseason, I didn't know how much of an upgrade was really needed along the offensive line. It basically just comes down. Their starting five is probably really good. I mean, it depends eh. on who you pick at center, <laughs> but really good might be a stretch. Well, Good enough. My problem with that, you know, I agree with you, but every time we have these conversations, I always do this mental exercise where I think, okay, so which teams have really good offenses? And the the reality is, I mean, offensive line. The reality is the the years of the dominant offensive line seem to be like over. I I just don't think of any team having a dominant line anymore. You have dominant pieces, and then you have average guys. And I think Anthony Casanzo is going to fulfill his destiny of making me right, and he's going to be <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be really good. Like he's going to be a top five guy, and the rest kind of falls into place. That Cheryl's contract isn't looking so yummy right now, but hey, whatever. Oh, so get those knees healthy. If Colts fans need something to be excited about, and you shouldn't, but I feel like this year they had a good year last year. But I feel like there's so much untapped uh, growth that they that they can achieve. It's not like, well, if this guy reaches his potential, to me, it's just if they do these things properly as an organization, not players, that I think that they can become significantly better just by doing some things differently, not even by players getting better. So I, I think that there's actually, I don't know, uh, there, there's a lot to be excited about if you're – Cool yeah, absolutely. And I think they got upgraded in free agency, like significant upgrades. So, especially because you know Anthony Costanza coming back, that's just really the biggest reason to be excited. Anthony Costanza and Kobe Fleener. If Anthony Costanza wasn't as big as he is, I feel like he's one of one of us. He has some tweets where I'm like, oh, this guy's just a a Twitter geek blogger type of guy. Only he's a he's an offensive lineman because. He had jeans. <laughs> Apparently, he can cook really well too. That's like a, his thing. Yeah, he can cook. Which so that doesn't really make him like me, because anyway, because I can't cook. But Greg, are you secretly like a top-notch chef? Yeah, I, I actually, I'm a really good cook. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Cook me food. and Ollie are oh, going to start a food fat? blog. Wow, wow! Listen to that. You no, know, it wouldn't surprise me, fat ass. <laughs> 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 me and ollie are gonna start a food blog but i'm just good at talking about food i'm not good at like the execution i'm just good at at knowing what like tastes good like this food tastes good i don't know if they would taste good together i don't know how to make it but i know that it tastes good that's really my only my only expertise well, all right Yes. <laughs> all right. Um, Greg, we haven't talked in a while, and all this free agency stuff went through. I want to get your thoughts. I know we both talked about it on Twitter. We've talked about it separately. We've talked about it together, blah, blah, blah. Not on here. Um, the Colts' free agency strategy this year, very different than from in past years. And, and I tried to get uh, Stephen Holder to uh, – 
always being mean to us on Twitter. It's really throwing me off my game right now. Um, it, it's, it's, I tried to get Stephen Holder to talk about this uh, earlier, but he kind of went in a different direction. But for me, this is like just such a different sign uh, from Gregson and from the Colts in terms of free agency. You know, and maybe, maybe like Holder was saying, it's just them adapting to the situation. But I think there is a little bit to the idea that Ryan Gregson is evolving as a general manager. And he tried one route. You know, he tried to sign the, trying to sign the, you know, the, the, gems and try and get them for those you know those four-year contracts he tried to get guys he thought were going to really step up like like uh francois and like landry and and walden etc and and they had some decent results you know walden was a pretty good player last year for them i mean he's one of their their better front seven players which isn't saying much but still uh you know greg toller has been been decent when healthy um, but they did have to cut Landry. They had to cut Francois. Cheerless has been hurt. Donald Thomas turned into an injury mess. So they just didn't, that strategy did not work for them. And I, I just felt like this, the way they're going this off season, you know, they didn't do any of that. The, and they're signing Kendall Langford is the closest thing to that. And that has so little guaranteed money on it that it, it's really hard to compare. This just seems so radically different to me that I, I have to think that there's some, you know, some kind of, of change, you know, in from Ryan Grigson and, and some learning process here. I think there's definitely some self-evaluation and growth, but I also think that he had a really unique situation in that Andre Johnson is a Hall of Fame wide receiver who's still healthy, like Reggie Wayne is also, but these guys don't become free agents with stuff in the tank all too often. And he happened to be the best team in the division of the team who just cut him, which I think helped him land Andre Johnson. Frank Gore and Chuck Pagano. Right. Uh, Frank Gore, very good running back. What I'll say, the, the thing about all these signings, because people weren't happy with them, or some people weren't, and I don't understand why. When you look at the signings this year versus the signings every other year, what really struck me is everyone he signed, you could point to some point in their career and go, wow, he used to be good. Whereas, you know, you point up, you, you look at Willeron Landry, for instance, and when, <laughs> okay. You're, you're, there were so many guys who were saying, wow, I hope he's good. But Andre Johnson, wow, he, he's really good. Even last year, Andre Johnson was, was a good player. Frank Gore, same thing. Trent Cole, three, two, two or three years ago, was the best pass rusher in the league. These are guys who are really good or were really good. And the thing is, with the way this team is constructed, you're not asking any of them to come in and – play a huge role. Actually, you might be asking the most out of Gore, as odd as that'll sound, because Cole is going to be asked to provide depth. Like, he's getting paid the most, I think, so you want him to provide something good, but he's going to be working with, you know, the, the hibernating Mathis when he reemerges in November and uh, um, Newsom. And, you know, there's going to be depth there now. Andre Johnson, he's not the big guy, the big dog here. It's going to be T.Y. Hilton. So he's just got, he has to provide depth. All these things sort of work. They were all good, and there's absolutely no risk with any of them. So for me, we look at the past, and we could always see with those contracts, well, there's no risk. But I always looked at those contracts and said, when are we getting out of them, or when are they getting out of them? With these contracts, I'm like, okay, they're cool. Good job. Yay. You signed good players where you needed them, and in two years, you're ready to to sign a new crop of players or to pay your draft picks, whatever the case may be. 
So I really like them. If I had a criticism in free agency of Ryan Grigson this year, there's there's two. The one is playing for deal that I, I'm not enamored with, but like you said, it's not a lot of money. My problem is I just don't know that he's very good. My other criticism yeah. is you don't have – pardon? I said, yeah, anyway. Oh, Go okay. Ahead. I was agreeing my, with my other you. criticism is you have one safety, and I don't know what you're doing in the middle of your defensive line. You, I, they had, There were plenty of players out there who signed, who nose tackles, who signed for nothing, for one-year yeah. deals for nothing. Even if you said to yourself, well, I don't really need one, or I don't really like Terrence Knighton, who cares? One year, $4 million, so what? Just, just sign it, and if it doesn't work out, you, you risked nothing. You lost nothing. Uh, the safety thing, I, I think you can go into the draft missing one of those positions, but I don't think you can – you're not going to take care of both in the draft. And you don't have to have a perfect roster to win the Super Bowl, but uh, I don't think you have a very good – like, you, you're not going to have average players at those positions. And I think you really, really, really need – a good player at nose tackle. Like the defensive line has been the Achilles heel of that defense for the entire Pagano Grigson era. And they, they had a chance to really upgrade it and they, they punted. That bothered me. Okay. Well, what, one thing to add on that or to, to ask you, I guess. Um, but let me say there's somebody on hold uh, on, on the board right now. If you have a question for us or you want to talk for a few minutes, whatever, I've got a few minutes. So, uh, just let me know on Twitter that you actually have something to say slash want to, to ask or whatever, uh, and we'll get you in here. Uh, Greg, here's my question on the defensive line. Is the defensive line their Achilles heel really, though? I mean, is it? Because we saw, yeah, we saw New England take advantage of it and run all over them. But, I mean, outside of the New England games, they were pretty average against the run. I mean, for me, I, I think they need a nose tackle, but... For me, I just want to see them get playmakers in that front seven, like guys who you have to game plan against, guys who can rush the passer, guys, you know, linebackers that can drop back to cover. I mean, and as well as play against the run. You know, I, for me, it's just about getting that playmaker more than it is we really need to shore up the defensive line against the run. Well, I feel like everyone else on the defense becomes better if your defensive line is, is good. So the linebackers are better against the run. The secondary is better against the pass. So that's my first thing is I think it makes everyone better if your defensive line is good. Uh, were they average? I, I guess. But there's just times where, again, they, they don't do anything special with the defensive line. Right. They're just super know. boring. I, I, I think that's the biggest right. thing is they're just like they're completely meh across the board. I don't – what I want is someone in the middle who takes up two blockers or someone who can get to the, the quarterback because Cole and Mathis and – and uh, Newsom, why do I keep forgetting his name? I don't know. We'll, we'll get there. But, again, you're just talking about one guy on the field. I guess if, if you're up big or it's third and long or something, you'll have two of those guys on the field. But, generally, you have one rush linebacker and one not rush linebacker. Like, you're only going to have one of those guys on the field a majority of the time, I think. So, you need other players who can get to the quarterback, and there are none on the offense, or on the defensive line. So, that's my criticism is I, I just felt like there were obvious upgrades out there and they didn't cost anything. They were so cheap. True. But 
and this is just devil's advocate, and then I'm going to bring Laura on the line because she's on. Um, if you sign Terrence Newton or Terrence Knighton, sorry, Terrence mm-hmm. Knighton to a four million dollar contract, uh, you don't have room for rookies. They don't have the cap space right now. Hmm. Unless you got Donald Thomas, which is totally a thing they should do. But anyway, that's a different subject. Hmm. So okay. they, I mean, so- it is. They wouldn't be that expensive, but with the guys they have brought in, they only have like eight million dollars in cap space left. If the Terrence or if, if the Trent will, uh, me, bleh, if the Trent Richardson contract doesn't get voided, then they only have like eight million dollars in cap space. So, um, get voided. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> All right. You know what? Uh, I take the risk. I sign him, and then if I have to cut a guy who hasn't played for me in two years, you know, yeah. okay, I guess I'll make that tough decision. Yeah, Sorry. and I'm with you there. All right, uh, let me go ahead and bring Laura Cowley online. Uh, she's our friend. She's pretty great, and she has a question uh, that she wants to talk about. Hi, Hi Laura. Hello. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Great. We're great. Thanks Happy for calling. Happy to talk to you again. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, and by the way, I know. Hey, by the way, Donald Thomas is going to be good this year. I promise <laughs> he's going to get past the preseason, I'm pretty sure. It's like, the, is uh, it hey, the same quad too? I think it was the same quad or knee. No, or whatever it, was. it was, I think it was the other one. Was it? Ugh. Well, you know, coming back from one torn quad is really hard, but when you tear the other one, it really ups the odds. I read a study where if you tear both of your quads, it's like 100% you're going to come back better than ever. So. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, I had a 50-50 shot on answering that question right, so I have to look it up. But um, the question that I had was, uh, are you at all nervous about the fact that, you know, Gore and Andre Johnson and Trent Cole, you know, obviously they all have a little bit of tread on their tires, little tread on their tires left, I should say. And the turf or the the surface at Lucas Oil Stadium, uh, you know, not being natural grass like, all of those guys are used to, I think, um, you know, what that might mean in terms of wear and tear and, and the injury risk. It's certainly a valid question, and I'll, I'll let Greg answer it uh, as well, but I'll throw this in really quick. My first initial thought, and I'm not an expert on, on injuries or anything like that, but my first initial thought when I saw that on Twitter, Laura, was the the good feeling that I get, I guess, the optimism in me says okay, we'll look at the older guys the Colts have brought in. For the most part, it's not the older guys who have struggled with injuries necessarily. You know, Mike Adams came in and was extremely, you know, extremely reliable. Corey Redding was extremely reliable. Um, You know, kind of the older guys on the roster outside of Reggie Wayne have done pretty well on on the turf that I can think of over the last few years. But that was just kind of my initial reaction was that, well, you know, hopefully Mike Adams can do it. (laughs) Right. I'm not too worried. Like, if you look at Andre Johnson, played on a monster truck turf field for how many years and was fine. I guess he'll come and tear his knee in the first week in Indianapolis because that's what Colts do. But he's, the field in Houston is much, much worse, and he survived there for a while. And Gore isn't the kind of player who's going to be making ridiculous cuts, right? So, and Trent Cole. He can, so... <laughs> Trent Cole is immortal because he's super evil, according to. Yeah, we, I don't know. 
we did talk about that last time. Um, the other thing too, and I was thinking about this was was Mathis. You know, Math and Mathis' injury came when he was working out on his own, which you know mm-hmm. I don't know what was going on there exactly, but um, it's certainly a, a valid question, and it's one that I don't think we we talk enough about. Um, but we haven't. I, I'm trying to think of any other like big, the other big you know, knee injuries and stuff that we've seen. Guys like like Ballard did it in practice, and you know one of them happened in in preseason um, out on those practice Reggie fields. Reggie was the only one I can remember. Yeah, or at least recently, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, so well, I don't know. I, I mean, I just feel a little bit better. <laughs> hopefully, I mean, know that they're going to lose somebody to injury in the first week. It's it's just an inevitability. Hopefully, it's like. Never mind. I'm not going to say it's hopefully anybody because that'd be terrible. <laughs> You're a horrible person. I, so I didn't mean to say throw, it. You thought it. Pretty soon that's going to be enough to throw you in jail. Uh, the, the field's a concern <laughs> a little bit, but I don't know if it's... I don't know that we've seen the ill effects of it too much recently. Uh, the, the Mathis thing, it just... I don't know what's going on there. That's that's a weird little bizarre thing. Just the 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 point with Mathis is don't ever try to get pregnant because it's just a slippery slope. <laughs> look at look at what can happen to you. Yeah, I mean look what happened to Greg. <laughs> True. Wait, what happened to me? <laughs> hey, one other question: Do you guys think uh, that they will re-sign either Hakeem Nix or? Um, Ahmad Bradshaw. I don't. I think Nix is the is more likely than Bradshaw because I think that I think they're going to try and bring in. I really think they're going to draft a rookie running back. I just like every sign points to that for me. The draft is so deep there. You know, obviously, bringing in Gore is is just like kind of a bridge move. Um, I mean, they tendered in Heron, but they kind of had to. They just don't have any depth there, but. I just don't. I really think they're going to draft a running back. So they probably I, won't. I thought but. Bradshaw would be back, but then the whole arrest and everything, I think that they're steering clear of any sort of situation like that this offseason. So I, once that happened, I thought it was 0% chance. Nix is interesting to me because he did provide a little bit. You know, he had those a few contested catches, big catches in the postseason. Um, but really did nothing against the Patriots when they were focusing on on T.Y. Hilton and, and Kobe Fleener. So I don't know. That's for me. That's a that's a big one. Um, but like that's just such a big red flag. And they have those young guys that they really want to develop in Moncrief and and Carter. So I don't know if you can really you know, quote unquote afford to bring in mm. uh, you know Knicks back in or not. I don't I don't know. Especially if they do want to. Even if you want to draft a, run, a wide receiver as well, just because the draft is deep at wide receiver again too, I think you leave yourself open to that possibility if you can you know, leave yourself a spot there. I know I a lot rather, of guys like them, but... We just spent a while talking about the two tight ends, and I feel like signing someone like Knicks really affects that as much as Moncrief. I would rather just fo- focus on the two tight ends, focus on... T.Y. Hilton and Andre Johnson as your base receivers, those four, and use Moncrief and Carter. I feel if you bring someone like Nixon, you've just totally pushed out those young guys. So now those mm. those top three receivers are your guys and the two tight ends. And 
adding someone who you want to catch the ball a lot is also, again, stealing snaps from Al, probably Allen because they seem to use Fleener a lot last year in receiving situations. I just don't see any reason you spent a second and a third round pick on those tight ends. Use them all the time. Mm-hmm. The red zone. First two receiving tight ends to catch eight touchdowns together or something. I don't know. Whatever the thing is. <laughs> That was one of the things I talked about with Andre Johnson was that uh, he's never been he's never been a big touchdown guy, and that's fine because you, you, the Colts use their tight ends and running backs so much in the in the um, You don't necessarily need a huge you know touchdown catcher from a, your wide receiver spot. You're going to need someone. Andre Johnson, I think, is going to have a good year or two, but he's not going to last forever. You're going to have to figure out whether or not Moncrief. Carter, someone is going to be able to be a two or three. So you have to play them. And I don't think you should be pushing them down. If you want a five, if you want to bring in a special teams guy as a number five, or if you want to draft someone else that you really like and compete with Moncrief in that way. But I never saw anything from Nick last year that made me think like he was a long-term solution for anything. If you're signing someone on a a one-year deal, I wouldn't do it. I just think you should be happy. I like the the skilled players they have now. I guess they can be thin if you have an injury, like a long-term injury, but I really like their starting five plus probably two players there. I think Heron's a, a decent backup, and you didn't, again, you have Moncrief and Carter. So. And Jack Doyle. Do it all Jack back, Doyle. So. Uh, Laura, anybody from Cal that we need to be uh, – looking out for nobody from Cal was even invited to the combine this year. (laughs) So, um, uh, actually Chris Harper is a receiver who apparently, uh, did quite well at his pro day. So he might be somebody to watch what my guess is, you know, lower rounds if drafted at all. He, He was, he was the guy who he made some dazzling catches. So, um, kind of and you know, big body, kind of fun to watch. He's one that uh, one of the Colt fans on Twitter who does he's he's writing for the new you know, draft website that they've done Draft Indie. Uh, Garrett uh, Twitter handler Smiley Moth. Uh, he's a guy that that he's been looking at a lot. I, over the over the off season that he's mentioned a few times, so he's one of those intriguing names, but uh, not a whole lot else going on there at Cal, huh? Nope. Right Someday. now they're just trying to get a, a 500 season. <laughs> uh, we've got a few. Somebody, Caleb, Caleb on Twitter uh, wants us to talk about Griff Whalen. I I just don't see much of a future for Whalen outside of special teamer. If French roster guy, he's just that's just the ceiling. He's you know, if you have to bring him in, you could you know you could do worse for a fourth or fifth receiver. But you know they're really looking towards the future for those future starting guys to develop. Like Greg said, you look at Moncrief or Carter potentially being a number two or, or number three in the future. And I just don't think Waylon is is that kind of guy. And I think that's why we've seen so few snaps from him over the last well last year. I think he'd be fine as a number five if they went with him that place for the whole that way for the whole year, but he's nothing more than that, yeah. 
he's a very useful in an offense if he ever got in. Yes, and that's uh, they just uh, posted a rehab update for Robert Mathis. Oh, do you want me to read it on the air? Yes, if I can get it to open. Oh, never mind. It's a video. Ugh. Can someone watch the video and give me a too long didn't read real quick? So I don't have to watch a video while I'm actually on the show. Thanks. Thumbs up. All right, continue. Sorry about that. Griff Whalen. He's the best. I'm, yeah, I don't know if there's really anything else to say about Griff Whalen other than he's he fills a nice role, but that he, that's the role he's gonna, going to fill. Um, Ali also mentioned a few running backs uh, in the draft. Uh, Amir Abdullah, Jay, 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 Ajayi, uh, Duke Johnson from Miami. I think the big thing when you look at running backs in the draft that you, you're looking for for the Colts is somebody who can be a threat on the ground, but also a threat in the passing game. Because that's what they, if they're going to spend a draft pick, especially one in the, let's say, second or third round uh, on a running back, you you want somebody who can contribute in the, you know, in the offense's main, you know, weapon which is always going to be Andrew Luck in the passing game so if you're going to get a running back especially like I said early on it's got to be somebody who can contribute in the passing game and and I think all those names pretty much can um the one guy that I've kind of said from the get-go I don't necessarily want to see in Indianapolis from a draft perspective just because I, I don't think it'd be the best place for him I don't think he'd fit as well is Coleman from Indiana and I know a lot of Colts fans don't want to hear that but for me he just he's going to need a lot of space from his offensive line, especially early on. Um, he's not a guy who really uh, kind of navigates the muddied offensive line as well as some of the other backs. Uh, you know, if he goes to a place like Dallas, I think that'd be great for him somewhere else. And I don't, I think he can still be good, but I just don't think he'd be kind of that fit for Indianapolis, but um, see what they do there. But I think for me, like I said, the big thing is that they have to get somebody who can contribute both on the ground and, and through the air. Uh, Greg, when you look at that running back position, especially with, with Heron and Gore, there at least for 2015 you know what do you kind of see as as the best, um you know the biggest need there i know you haven't necessarily watched a lot of those specific draft prospects but what's kind of your ideal well i think in Heron you have kind of the the home run guy off the bench and in gore you have they've said they want him to be their workhorse so they, they want to see how quick a 30 something year old running back can end his career so i think what you need is a, the backup, well, you're, you're going to draft someone. I think that that's clear. They've been tied to running backs, I'm pretty sure, based on Twitter. I think that's what I've read. So they're yeah. going to draft someone. What I would like to see is basically what you have in Gore, like a, a more a simpler version of that, but someone who can run up the tap, run between the tackles, who isn't going to be a fumble issue. I don't need someone who is a boom bust. I think they need to be looking for someone who stays. Like you have the boom bust guy in Heron, you have the the risk taker in Heron, you have the fumble issue in Heron. You need a steady <laughs> guy in case you have in case you have an injury to Gore, you, just to stabilize that position. I, I don't think you need more types of Heron. Like you don't need two of what Heron is. So you need someone you're, who is more in the vein of what of Gore is. You're not. I'm not saying you're going to find someone as good as Gore because if you could, then you wouldn't have signed Gore. But someone in that mold. The, the up up the middle guy. What they wanted out of Trent Richardson, I think, only they never actually watched Trent Richardson do anything, so they didn't know who Trent Richardson was, I guess. Okay, sorry. 
here's my thing about Heron is that I just I see him as a guy who can he can he can run. I think he can run on the ground fine. He's not necessarily he doesn't necessarily have the power of Gore, which hurts him. And he can catch, but he doesn't necessarily have the elusiveness that a lot of your kind of more scat backs have. So he's kind of like in between her. To me, he's like the perfect third guy. And we've talked about this. To me, he's the perfect third guy who can, you know, if Gore gets hurt, he can take on that running role. Uh, if, say, a receiving back got hurt, he could take on more of the receiving role. But he's not your your guy you necessarily want to be taking 30 snaps a game. Um, he can, again, if, if there's injury. But to me, you really need that that second guy. Um yeah, I don't know. I I just think for for Richardson and Gore, kind of that power mold, um, it's it's just a question of what the Colts want their identity necessarily to be, right? Do you do you, are you really all in on Andrew Luck, uh, or or do you still in the back of your mind kind of want that San Francisco look? And I'm not sure I'm okay we necessarily with, have an answer to that. I'm okay with having a power running back but going all in on Andrew Luck because right. I want, I want a guy who can pick up the two or three yards when I need it. That's more, that's what I want out of the running game really is just someone uh, is a running game that can complement what luck brings. I don't need 30 yard runs. They're nice. Obviously it's 30 yards longer than any Trent Richardson run ever. I feel like it is so it's longer than any Colts need, Trent Richardson run. <laughs> you don't need 30 yard runs, but, but I just want a guy who can go in there and not, throw away downs. So you're looking at a guy who can get between four and five yards, you know, on average, which I think is the, the NFL average is like four to four and a half yards of carry, but also someone who's going to be really good in those short yardage success situations. What the, my only issue with the running back is how long you think Trent, uh, Trent, Frank Gore has because running backs in general don't have a lot of, years in them. I think the average is four years. If you draft a running back this year with the intention of becoming, so say you use a second round pick on a running back because you want him to eventually take over as the starter. I don't know if that's really a, a smart move because what if you get two or three years out of Gore? You know what I mean? I just don't think so, you do. Okay, so then if you don't think that, then you definitely draft someone now and you prepare for next year or the year after for them to be the, the starter. Draft someone that you think is going to be good enough to be a starting running back. Like the options are... That's, that's, that's draft, what I'm saying. That's uh, what I would want. That's what I would want to see from them in, in the draft. Right. So the, that's either, those are the two options in my mind. That, you draft someone in the second round like that who you envision being a starter in a year or two, or you go with the fifth round... Vic Ballard, you know, third running back sort of thing. And, and you know what? Ballard would have probably been a perfectly good, and I'm speaking of him in the past tense, sorry for everyone who's convinced that a guy with 25 torn ACLs is going to make a big impact next year. If he was healthy the way he played, I've never been like a big Ballard fan, but I feel like he would have been a perfectly fine third piece to this backfield. Yeah, and he could be a committee back, right? I mean, yeah. Well, you're not even looking for a committee here, right? They want Gore to handle the load. But I feel like Ballard's the kind of guy who, if he comes in, isn't going to hurt you and could get you, you know, four yards. See, right? I don't know if they if they really do. When you're looking at Gore, I don't know if he's the kind of guy you necessarily really do want to carry the load, though. Just from a, just from a hold, just keeps his snaps low. You know, I, I see that more of a, 
as on a mod Bradshaw situation where they, you know, they intentionally keep his snaps, you know, somewhat low, uh, just to keep him fresh. Yeah, that's possible too. So anyhow, those are, those are to me, the two options. You pick someone in the second round who you want to eventually become the starter, or you pick Vic Ballard's brother and you go from there. And I'm, I'm probably fine with either one. I will, admit up front if they draft a running back in the second round I'll probably puke <laughs> and complain about it but I'll get over it because you know I was a huge Donald Brown fan even though he never really produced too awful much and he was a first round pick and I love Joseph but I won't be I won't say I was the biggest fan because he had so many but he was a first round pick and he helped him win a Super Bowl clearly when you're drafting this late using a late first round pick an early second round pick or a late second round pick in this case it's the critical it's fine so my initial reaction will be to, to complain about it, but in general, it's fine. Especially if you get a guy who can uh, can take over for Gordon. This is what you were talking about on free agency day, is just ha- having Johnson and Gore and, and everyone else that they signed just be like the guy, the stop gaps until someone's ready. Well, they don't have anyone at running back. I, I'm a huge Boom Heron fan, and I will tell you he's 26 years old. So there's probably not like some secret growth into becoming a starting running back in his near future. So find a guy who can be a starter at some point. Cool. Monk, and we were talking about how the offense should be handled earlier. This is why I don't want another receiver sign because we want Moncrief to grow over these two years. And then Andre Johnson, you know, go, retires, goes in the hall of fame and Moncrief is ready now, or he's not, but you you find out. So that's why I like these signings, and that's where I think they should go is, you know, draft a running back who can take over for Gore sometime in the future. I talk so much. I'm sorry. I, I forgive you. I've, I've, got something to, I've got something to add, Greg, to I, I will mm-hmm. also complain if they uh, draft a running back in the second round, but I'll I'll be a big complainer if they draft – Kevin Coleman, and the only reason is because <laughs> no, I it really irks me that teams seem to have to give preference to local guys. I don't understand that thinking, and the the that in particular, I don't understand the expectation. Right. Yeah, and if you know that if they if they draft a running back in the second round and say Coleman's available and they draft somebody else, there will there will be uh, IU fans complaining about it. And I don't get it. Especially, you know, it's not like IU is a football powerhouse. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Caleb did say on Twitter that that Mathis video was basically he'll be ready when he's ready. Um, He'll he'll certainly be ready by November. I'm not really sure what that means. You know, he's absolutely going to be ready by November, or they're hoping that that's the soonest he'll be. Ready. I have no idea. Um, hopefully, we'll get more clarity on that as the offseason progresses. Um, but we've only got a few more minutes here before our time runs out. So, this is what I want to pose to you two. This is very important since we have Laura here on the line. Laura, how do you feel? about Trent Cole's eyes. Ooh, dreamy. I guess you're with Greg then. I think they look like demon eyes. He's sexy. 
Oh, I can't say any of these words. Yeah, you gotta stop. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have to mark this M for mature later. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, I'm uh, taking okay. another look. I'm taking another look. And yeah, maybe on second thought, Kyle. No. Uh, no, no they no. just okay, uh, they just freak go. me out. No. No, no. no. Maybe bloodshot. Maybe bloodshot in all yeah. of those are the kind of eyes. You're sitting down over a nice dinner and you you look across the table and you see those light brown eyes and like, oh, No, if I look God. across the table, I want to be looking at Dante Monster's <laughs> eyes. Ooh. Ooh, this is this is a we okay, we've talked a lot on on Colts Twitter about the handsomeness of different players. Uh, I consider Laura to be a little bit of a connoisseur of Colts players' eyes, just based on all of the things. So Dante Moncrief, we're gonna have to go back and and do some reconfiguring in our handsome ratings. Okay, but see, here's the problem with Dante Moncrief. I'm looking at him right now, and I don't know that I can't really see his eyes. But the the thing is, his eyes are more handsome <laughs> because he has a more pleasant. Uh, bone structure, like his his eye sockets and cheeks, are just more pleasant to look at than Trent Cole's. Ladies and gentlemen, hard hitting analysis. They, they look they look much less much less bloodshot and less vampire-y <laughs> than Trent Cole. That's all I'm gonna say. They, he still got the light brown thing going on though. I, I okay, I'm I'm with Laura there. I hadn't even I hadn't even thought about Dante Moncrief's eyes. Wow. All right. Well, we've got our, the ladies talking to me in my ears, so it's time to go. With that, that's your homework for the for the week, readers, is go look at Dante Moncrief's eyes and get back to us on that. Not everyone. We'll be back uh, next week, uh, hopefully, to talk more about the draft, uh, have a different guest on to talk about some potential draft targets. But for now, appreciate everybody listening, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Thanks, Laura, Bye. and thanks, Greg. Thank you. Thank you.